Welcome to the Swim Swam Podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining us today, three-time Olympic medalist, seven-time world champion. Today, we're sitting down with Katie Hoff. How's it going, Katie? It's going great. What's up, Coleman? Too much. I'm I'm excited to have this discussion. Obviously, there was big news in the swimming community this week with uh, Reagan Smith announcing that she was deciding to go pro. Um, we put out an article about kind of the history of female swimmers who were NCAA eligible going professional and for going some or all of that uh, NCAA eligibility, you being one of them. And so we just wanted to reach out and get your perspective on that decision and what it meant for you at the time, what it meant for your career moving forward. So I guess first off, um, you were 16 when you decided to go pro. Is that right? Yeah, I had, I officially signed like the 10 the year speedo deal happened right after my 16th birthday. Okay. Um, and what, what went into that decision of uh, you were coming off of the world titles at the 2003 world championships in the two IM and the four IM. Um, so obviously you had a good reason there and, uh, but what went into that decision for you? Yeah, I had a lot went into it, you know, by the way, I'm not that old. It was 2005 world championships. My bad. Yep. But yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so old, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny that I remember winning because I won the 200 IM on on day what day two world championships, um, and I remember already going to my parents and being being like, oh my gosh, like does that mean I can go pro? And my parents were like, pump the brakes, you know, <laughs> calm down. You still have another seven seven days left of the meet, and it was I think part of it was just exposure to you know being on NBAC, seeing what Michael did. That was something that I looked at and aspired to, and I. I certainly at at this in the same breath was looking at colleges. I remember I had an Auburn swim cap and I was obsessed. Like I I was told everyone in who could listen prior to that that I was going to go swim at Auburn because at the time Auburn was the powerhouse and and the team to be. They had Maggie Bowen who was an idol, you know, prior to 2004 for me. So I had both of these these thoughts going on, but I think at the time in 2005, I just remember thinking well, that's what Michael's doing. That's what all the, all the best athletes that are crushing it, they all seem to be pro in my eyes. And I think a lot of people could argue, and I could say the same as like, well, you're, you're giving up college, you're giving up swimming on a college team and what that looks like. And I didn't know any different. Um, and for me being able to capitalize on four full year or like three and a half full years of what I felt like was about to be some of my best years, uh, I felt like that was a no brainer, especially because, you know, Speedo was going to also pay for my college. And so I felt like, wow, you know, allows me to just go all in tunnel vision on swimming on making, you know, the next however many years, 10 years, I was hoping, uh, be, be this, this huge block of success. I felt like it was a no brainer. And, and certainly my parents made me slow down and talk it through and, and weigh all the options, but that's really ultimately what I decided on and, and kind of never looked back. 
that. <clears throat> I don't know how, how swimming swimwear contracts usually work, but uh, 10 years, that seems like a long deal. Did yeah. I mean, was that typical or was that pretty unique in that situation? Super unique. You know that, I mean, that was the longest deal Speedo had ever signed at that point. And I remember, I remember sitting down with Peter Carlisle at Octagon. They, they flew to our house in, in Baltimore and just talking through the opportunity. Like the contract, I think was like almost 30 pages. Like I had no idea what was going on and, and obviously had like a lawyer, an agent, what's, what's happening. I haven't even, don't even have my license yet, but I think because it, you know, my parents, really had to sacrifice for, you know, swimming, I feel like is typically, there's a lot of money in swimming and my parents had to fight for, you know, they sacrificed to, to do travel and to, you know, pay swimming dues and all those things. And so there was part of me where I, I got really excited that I was going to be able to, you know, get these bonuses and do all these things. Like that just excited me. There wasn't this level of pressure I felt like, cause I was already putting insane amounts of pressure on myself to break records and, and do certain things. I just viewed it as just kind of a cherry on top. And then to not only do that, but then be able to take stress off my parents um, who worked so hard to support me. I was like, wow, that's awesome. The fact that, you know, it was built in that my parents didn't have to, you know, spend thousands of dollars to fly to Australia to watch me swim. There's so many things that didn't really get talked about at the time because I just feel like it was such a new thing to swimming because the deal was so lengthy and, and, and really, uh, supportive in value. But when I look back, I'm like, yeah, why, why would I not do that? There was just so many, so many positives to it. Um, there's always going to be pros and cons to every decision, but to me, I still feel like the pros outweigh the cons. Those sound like a lot of pros, <laughs> uh, especially as I mean, you were competing at the highest level, but you're still an age grouper. And like you said, there's a lot of expenses that come with both those things, right? That come with age group swimming and that come with yeah. competing at the highest level. Um, so as you mentioned, you were on North Baltimore Aquatic Club with Bob Bowman, with Michael Phelps. Um, something I do want to throw out there that I didn't even realize that you made the 2004 Olympic team when you were 15. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so at that time, were you, are tr were you training with Bob in the lead up to those trials and those Olympics already? No, I actually only trained with Bob for one year in 2009. Um, so I was training with Paul Yetter. We moved to the satellite club, um, up in like Harford County in Baltimore, just like 35 minutes outside of Baltimore. And so leading up I mean, I really only joined North Baltimore a year out of 2004. And that was like kind of the crazy, like I dropped like 14 seconds in my 400 IM in one year. I dropped four seconds in the 200. So, I mean, going into that year, it was just like, I just want to make a final at trials. I just want to get my feet wet. And then of course I win both events and just kind of get in over my head. Uh, I actually just recently posted on my Instagram, um, the lead up to the final, the 200 IM because Brendan Hansen had been messing with me last week. And he's like, your eyes recovered from how much you jammed your goggles into your face. And I'm like, I did not do it that aggressively. And he pulled up the video and I'm just like, so, um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I made that team, but yeah, it was, it was Paul Yetter who coached me up to 04. And then Paul coached me from 04 to 08 as well. Okay. Uh, so then, um, so you were with Paul for that amount of time, but I am curious just being with 
seeing Bob and Michael just even from the periphery um, was, did that impact your decision just in terms of you knew how to navigate that professional life? You knew kind of what that looked like and having that familiarity was an easy decision compared to trying to choose a college where you were really unfamiliar with what might happen with training and life and everything else there. Yeah. You know, I think there's, there's two things here. I think the first thing is I was doing this it college when I was turning pro felt like so far away. You know, I wasn't, I think when Missy was going through, she was like 17 or, or so 17, 18. I, I'm not positive, but I, I think it would have been harder had I been 17, 18, right? Because it would have been like, I'd already been talking to colleges. I would have maybe gone on some visits. I would have had an, a, a taste because I, I will not deny, like that is one of the cons. I look at the close tight knit college teams, girls have, you know, tons of friends from that college. It becomes this, this really sisterhood that you develop. And I certainly have some of my best friends were in my wedding from team USA, but I know for a fact that that is special. And I, I, that's something that I did forego, but I think because it was so, it felt like college was so far off. it, It was something that I thought it was just this, thing that looks so amazing to do. And again, the perks of being able to build a future, build, you know, a livelihood at that age. Um, and I think growing up, right, you look through the magazines, you see the the people um, like had so many Speedo magazines, Jenny Thompson posters, you know, that's what I grew up on. And so I just viewed that as I remember always saying, I am already going to put a ton of pressure on myself to perform and to execute. So why not be compensated and get some really cool experiences with it? That was always my, my thought. And I I don't, I truly don't think now looking back that it really added that much extra pressure. I think it was really nice to not have to worry about NCAAs, you know, a few months out of a big trials meet. I think having more of a focus on long course instead of having to focus on short course, um, I mean, I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of college athletes that argue me on this, but I felt like personally for my events, the 400 I am, you know, the 400 free, I felt like um, that was that was just my perspective. And Octagon did an amazing job of prepping me for all of those crazy experiences of going to photo shoots or, you know, doing a media tour in Beijing, China, like all these things that as a teen, you're not equipped for. And I felt lucky that Octagon gave me the tools and the people around me to make me feel comfortable in those situations. Ooh, yeah, that's a, that's a, I've got a, I've got a lot of follow-up questions on this. So, um, I would, yeah, so I was going to ask if the pressure changed once you went pro, but, but, you know, once you signed that deal, once you went pro, you were official, what did change or what did you have to adapt to? Uh, just in terms of lifestyle. And like you said, getting used to all these opportunities that come with being a professional that you wouldn't even think about or, or, or wouldn't even touch as, as a amateur or an NCAA athlete. Yeah. I would say, again, I was very lucky in that Octagon did not select opportunities unless they knew that they weren't going to conflict a ton with training. You know, I, I'd heard athletes that had to do a ton of different clinics and it would mess up their, their training cycle in the week. And I never really had that, you know, Speedo, huge credit to them. 
you know, I, I don't, there was, I think I fulfilled a ton when I was kind of on my way out, but you know, in the height of training, they were very flexible with me that the most, you know, moving around I'd have to do was, you know, a day or two of, of a shoot or, you know, a lot of appearances were done, you know, connected right after world championships or, you know, on a weekend or one day in one day out type of thing. And so again, it was the people around me that were making all that happen, pulling at the strings to make sure that I could still fit everything in. And yeah, a couple red eyes right into the pool, um, sucked <laughs> from, from LA to Baltimore. But for the most part, I felt like there was the people around me were making sure that it was balanced and, and even from, you know, handling the finances and all of that, it, I did had no, no awareness to that until I was much older. Um, I was just really lucky that I had people that in my corner that I could trust and weren't going to take advantage of that. And um, looking back at something I'm super grateful for. Yeah. And then it just in terms of the day-to-day, once you did sign that, I'm guessing training didn't change too much, but what was your training like uh, from that 04 to 08 quad when you were still just with Paul? I mean, insane. I mean, I was doing, I think at that time I was also coming off of, you know, I, I kind of say failed. I still made the final, but I didn't live up to expectations in 2004. So I felt like, you know, from five, six, seven, eight, that was kind of my, my comeback tour of, of really, I was really in the zone training really fast. Um, you know, doing 10,000 at a time in a practice. And, and I mean, I was, let's see, Oh, I was homeschooled all the way through. So, I mean, everything for better, for worse was swimming, 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 swimming. And I think that's when I looked again, I, at that point I wouldn't have gone to college, but if you look at the, how to make sure that there's a balance, that would be, I would say the second con, if we're we're ringing up the cons, that would be the second con, right? It was like, I was either living at home and then I bought a place in Baltimore when I was 18, right before 08 trials, um, but it was eat, sleep, breathe, swimming that also, that made me really, really great. But at the same time, I think having some more balance would have been healthy <laughs> and probably avoided some identity crises <laughs> down the road. Were you, did you have training partners at the time or was it kind of just you? I mean, the nice part about being, and Katie Ledecky can attest to this, nice part about being a fast female is you'll, you'll never run out of training partners, right? You can always, always train with the guys, always kind of uh, challenge them. And so all the way through, I mean, that block from, from 05 to 08, I always had someone that I could race, whether it was a threshold set, whether it was kicking, whether it's sprinting, we had a really, really strong group at Baltimore. If you look, I mean, we had Felicia Lee, we had Elizabeth Peltzen, we also, we had Austin Serhoff, Brennan Moore. I mean, our, I look back on that group and I was actually, I ran into Brennan Morris at uh, juniors. Uh, and he was like, you know, it's crazy to look back of the, the level of expectation in that group. It was like, you know, if you had an Olympic trials cut, which on any other team, right. It's like, wow, that person's really fast. You know, they were like, kind of not at the top of the heap. You know, we had, it was kind of like these, you're striving for world championships or Pan Ams or, or these teams and no knock on Olympic trials. It's amazing, but that just shows you the level that that group was training at. And it's kind of wild to look back. You just kind of took it for granted, but um, I think it really pushed everyone to be that much better. Yeah. The, and this wasn't even a pro group. This was just a club oh, team. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, if you looked at it, you could be like, well, that's pretty much like, I feel like I kind of, we kind of built our own pro group because 
Actually, that's actually really crazy that you say that because most of them, I kind of started the homeschool trend. Brennan was homeschooled. Felicia was homeschooled for a little bit, I think. Liz, maybe like everyone just started being homeschooled. So if you think about it, everyone was a pro. Like we could we could run practice at 7 a.m. because most people were, were homeschooled, right? So you got yeah. a little extra sleep. And so we kind of made a high school pro group of its own uh, in some ways. That's that's super interesting. But also, again, if you have the resources and you have the talent, good Lord. I mean, yeah, why why not? Um, so that that is really cool. And obviously, that sounds like a great training group. So then when you do decide to go train with Bob um, with, from 2008 to 2009, is that right? Or right, nine so to right 10? At, yeah, right after the Olympics um, into that summer. Um, okay. I was, I was Bob and then, which I don't even, I mean, it was such a, <laughs> I was such, you, you obviously look back on the headlines of everything that was going on at that time. I mean, um, I switched, Bob had to kind of come back early. Uh, Michael had the whole thing that happened in, in 09, you know, uh, there was a couple people that came in to train with us, but it was just like this mishmash smaller group. Um, and just everyone was, was in a not great place. So that was a very quick stint. I don't even know if, if I could say that was like a true definition of a pro group as he's building right now. Um, but that's really at that point, at the end of that summer, oh nine, I decided to to make the trip to California and Fullerton for the official USOC sponsored pro group that everyone was going to go out and, and swim at. Um, so yeah, I want to, I will get to fast as it was known, the Fullerton pro group yes. in a minute, but just like you said, coming off those Beijing Olympics, yeah, it seemed like everything was kind of scattered and there was a lot going on for you personally. Where yeah. were you in that year from 08 to 09 coming off of your performance in Beijing? Um, how were you dealing with, with the swimming with being the professional that you were knowing, okay, I still have to go do my job. Yeah. That's a great, I mean, I was terrible. I was probably rock bottom. I like anytime someone asked me, you know, what was some of the most challenging years of your career? I always say, I mean, the, the nine, 10, 11, hands down, those three years were, I had like glimpses of, oh, wow. Like, okay, short course world. She won that meet. Great. And then it would, you know, it was just, it just was, I, Honestly, if I wasn't pro, I probably the best thing for me would be to take six to eight months, heal, reflect, find my joy, joy for the sport again and move forward from there. But I, it's my job, right? You got You got to get into it. You got to make world championships the, ne the next summer. You have to, you know, you have to go to meets, you have to perform, you have to do interviews. Like it, it, that's just, that is the reality of when you become a professional um, in any sport. And so yeah, it was, it was tough. I wasn't my best self. Everyone was kind of reeling from, from Beijing and whether it was good or bad. And, uh, you know, my decision to switch coaches, I, I still, I had never talked to Bob about this, but I'm like, yeah, I literally just called him up. I'm like, Hey, you know how you were going to take till January and wait till you came back. I need a coach and it's September, you know, like it's not great, you know? And he kind of was like, Oh, okay. You know? Um, and obviously it was, it was great that he even agreed to do so. So, um, yeah, it was a very up and down, uh, twisted year. And I don't feel like anyone was in their best selves at that point. And it just resulted in 
Um, just, just, yeah, just obviously I didn't make world championships that year. I swam absolutely terrible. I got sick a bunch of times. I think I said, I think I decided, declared I was going to quit probably four or five times in the season. Like it just was really bad and, um, took me kind of to, it kind of took that year for me to be like, okay, like I need to take control of my career again. I need to make a decision for myself, empower myself. And, you know, it was the first time I really gone off on my own. Like I had bought my own place, but I was still down the road from my parents. Again, another thing that naturally is going to happen at 18 and 19, if you do go to college and you do go swim for a team. So it kind of, whether it was meant, whether it would have happened or not, like if I had an amazing, felt like an amazing Olympics and you know everything had gone smoothly, maybe I would have stayed, but it kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone to say like, okay, like I need to go and be off on my own and be away from my parents. And so that's when I, you know, decided to make the move with Caroline Burkle and, and have a roommate and, and um, live with her in, in Newport beach. Uh, so you move out to California and you're training with this pro group, which we've kind of, unfortunately we've seen like glimpses of in the, in us swimming, um, out of history, but it doesn't yeah. seem like they tend to last a super long time unless they're, I guess, unless they're based at a college. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you go to this pro team and what was the difference for you training with these, this group of professionals from training with the high school pro team yeah. um, in North Baltimore? It was different. You know, I think, I mean, there's a lot of everyone kind of like the, the dynamic, the dynamics of that are tough. And I think if you have the right coaches and you have, cause let's back up. So I went out there, it was, it was supposed to be Sean Hutchinson and John Urbanchek and together. And my thought was perfect. You know, you have someone who's more technical, um, who seems to be more like race, not race pace, but just has more of, um, I felt like a different philosophy. And then you have John, who's like, one of my favorite coaches of all time and just the best and a legend and is more of that kind of threshold, like really um, more high volume type thing. And so I was like, Oh my, that's like the perfect marriage between these two coaches are going to be together. And John was going to come out later. So when we first went out there, it was like five or six of us in a group with just Sean. And that was great. I mean, I love, I love Ariana Cooker is amazing. I, she and I would battle it out all the time. Um, and that, that was good. I would say though, it, because it was just all, pretty much all girls, except for Robert Margellis, like it was an interesting dynamic, but it was, it was fine, but I think it wasn't kind of, I was hoping it would be this big group. Then kind of the guys got out there in the summer with John, but we stayed separate. Um, and so that was interesting because I, I loved, I loved the dynamic of a, of a big group and the energy, right. That that brings not only the energy that a big group brings, but a big group that all of us are going for these, you know, all of us are trying to make an Olympic team at that point, um, which is awesome. And the energy is just great. I would say at times that can provide like an extra pressure cooker, right. Because it's not like, it's not like some people are just going like, I'm just going for best time. You have you know, 20 people who are all in this pressure cooker trying to make an Olympic team that has its own challenges as we know. So again, pros and cons, I would say more pros than cons. Um, and then everything went down as the whole swimming world knows, um, in December of 2010. Um, and at that point I was actually already kind of planning to go with John because I just love John and, and that was just kind of the right move. And so it kind of then became, 
this pro group split in half, um, which was great. It, it was great. I think, again, I still wasn't, I think if I was my best mindset ever and really confident and really in love with the sport, it would have been amazing. But I kind of hadn't, <laughs> I kind of couldn't keep catching up with everything that was unfolding. Um, and so I, I think that was probably the main thing for me, not no knock on a pro group or, or anything like that. Um, because I do think that there was, you know, really great stuff happening day to day in practice. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like, it seems like a lot of pro groups have that, right. You have that, um, common shared goal. You have that sense of urgency in the back of like, Hey, this is coming. Um, but then, so eventually, you know, that, that, that pro group dissolves or, or I guess what, however you want to phrase it. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually you go back with Paul. Is that right? Yeah, that's um, because again, I I felt like at that point it was like I kind of went into just searching for how I have eight months. I don't feel like I'm in the right state. Um, and of course, it was I mean it was something I approached with John first and foremost because I wanted everything to feel good. Like, Honey, whatever you know, whatever is going to be the best for you is amazing about it. Um, and I just felt like I, I knew that that training worked, um, with, with Paul. And so I just felt like I'm just going to go back to the thing that I know, whether that was the right thing or not. I just felt like I needed to do something to, I was just kind of trying to search to find something that was going to, that I knew I could cling to, um, to kind of get back to my old self of feeling the most confident, having the highest self-esteem. Um, cause I was certainly not there at that point. Um, you know, heading 2011 coming off of I mean, world championships, I swam, I, I had sworn off. I am for a little bit too, but I, I was just swimming corner free. I swam our relay. We won it at worlds in Shanghai. I finaled in the 400, but I was, I hadn't found my groove. Um, and so I was just like, all right, well, I'm going to go somewhere that I know the training gets in my groove. So I'm just going to go do that. And I packed my stuff actually packed in my stuff, just like suitcases left my place in, in, uh, California. I moved into a fully furnished place in Naples, Florida. <laughs> so that's what happened. <laughs> nice. Uh, I mean, I get benefits of being a professional, right? If you need a change, yeah. you can, you can get that change, uh, wherever you need it. Um, so kind of looking back on, on how that quad went down on the decision of just going pro and all everything that came with it, as you said, the pros and the cons, obviously it's a very different NCAA landscape now. Um, with the NIL rules, you know, you can have a suit contract and still compete for a college and you can have different levels of sponsors still do the NCAA. Um, if you think you were a, an NCAA recruit, a 16 year old in today's landscape, which you'd probably still be getting recruited now at 16, but, um, you know, do you, do you think that would have affected your decision at all? Probably. I mean, as I know it, I mean, cause I didn't do anything that I, like any sponsor I had, like, I mean, my biggest one was Speedo, Visa, Omega, and they were just contracted deals. So to my knowledge, I could be totally wrong. That would be allowed in today's landscape. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think I would, 
I, I don't know, actually. I mean, I think to me, the thing that matters the most is your coach, your teammates, your environment. And if you've checked those boxes, then you're going to be in a good spot. You're going to be the happiest possible. So if you look at my history of any, any time that that was shifted, it was because one of those three was not where I felt like it needed to be. And so I think it would have been, it would have been interesting, the timing of that, because what at the age after Beijing, it would have, like, I, I, maybe I could have said like, okay, well now I want to go. I don't know. Like, I think um, without that, um, without the worry of like, Hey, if you take money, you're going to forego eligibility. I probably, I don't know. I probably would have enjoyed doing that. I think that was the one thing I always looked at and was always like, yeah, team USA is great, but you're not there day in, day out with those people. You see them for training camp, you go, it's amazing. Like I said, like Schmitty and Beisel were in my wedding. They're two of my closest friends, but you could have a whole, you know, group of that. I see people's weddings and there's like 20 people from their college. And I'm like, man, that would be really cool. So I think I, I probably would have done that. Um, if it had made sense with the timing, the coach, the environment, all those things, I think it's an, I'm so jealous of it. Like, look what you guys get. You guys get to have your cake and eat it too. It's not fair. (laughs) It's uh, yeah, honestly, it's pretty wild. Obviously it's great for NCAA athletes and for that reason. But, um, again, like you said, it's, it's not all, maybe not all pros. Um, as you mentioned before, you do have that long course focus or you're allowed that long course focus. Um, and just kind of that singular long course championships focus, uh, when you're a professional, don't have to worry about conference and NCAAs. Um, but it is, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. It does add another layer to it. Um, so again, reflecting on this decision, uh, now, can you talk a little bit about the experience you gained from just working with those sponsors at such a young age, um, getting that international experience instead of going to, you know, maybe a college dual meet, you know, you were going to things like dual in the pool or world championships or, or pro swims, um, and the kind of not only life experience and personal experience, but business experience that, that you got from that as well. Yeah. I, you know, I look back, I feel like my mom was right. I should have written more things down. (laughs) She's like, you're going to want to remember this when you're older and you need to write this stuff down. Of course I never did, but yeah, I look back and just some of the brands that I got to work with some of the, some of the executives that I got to meet and just there, that mentality responding to emails and and being prompt, being on time, speaking, you know, sitting there and and being fed like, hey, you need to say X, Y, Z, and you need to say it in the the right way and you need to execute. And so all of those things, I think because I was exposed to it really early, um, it's something that I've continued to want and chase after because I, I, I love being around that level of, I don't know what the word is, the level of professionalism. And so you know, I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, even sitting there and, and being on a media tour and sitting up there in a press conference at 17 and, and having, having the responsibility of saying the right things about a product or a brand is, I look back, I'm like, man, that's a lot of pressure, <laughs> but it, but it was something that I think I just was thrust into it. And so when you're thrust into anything at that age, you're like, oh, okay, this is just what I do. And this is, this is what I need to do. So you don't really think anything of it. But I look back and I'm like, yeah, that definitely set a great foundation for 
what I wanted in my life and what I was exposed to really early on. And I kind of like wet my appetite a little bit of like, okay, like this is, this is really cool. And I want to continue to hold myself to that level um, of working with these brands and, and elevating, you know, what they are offering. And uh, so then from my personal experience, it's like, you know, I, I went to high school, I went to college, and then you get out of college and you're kind of thrust into the professional world, or a lot of kids are, but it takes a while to, to, to get your footing, to get used yeah. to it, um, and then to, to figure out your identity in the, wor- in the world of adults, right? Or in the world yeah. of your business or your profession. Um, and, you know, you kind of stayed in, you stayed in the athletic realm, right? You started your own business called Synergy. Uh, if people want to check out Synergy, where do they go? Uh, SynergyDryland.com or at SynergyDryland on Instagram. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so funny because I feel like I actually did. I mean, I stayed in fitness, but I actually still went through all of that. So I think I, you know, everything that it stayed with me, but because of, you know, the way that my career ended, obviously I got the pulmonary embolism, blood clot in my lung. And so it ended not on my own terms. So yeah, it would have been ideal to continue that and to continue, you know, working with brands. And but I kind of buried myself and went to a hole for five years and everyone was like, where'd you go? Um, but then I think on when I had healed and when I had felt ready to come back to the swimming community, and, and that really happened only a couple of years ago, I had this kind of muscle memory of like, okay, like this is, this is what it's like. This is, this is that feeling that it gives you um, this sense of responsibility and empowerment and confidence and all of those things that I truly believe that type of work and, and type of relationships bring. Um, I think it made building out synergy and, you know, working with now tier and, and different brands, um, much more like a, Oh, okay. This is okay. I remember this. This is like riding a bike. You know, I had kind of that foundation. And so, um, again, it's, it's one of those things I always say as annoying and frustrating and painful as sometimes the moment is, cause you're like, I don't get why this is happening. You can always look back and go, Oh, okay. That happened because of this. And that makes sense now because of this, right. It's like hindsight's 2020, but it truly is real. And so when I look back on it, I'm like, okay, that's, that's why that happened. That's why that happened. You know? So it's cool how, how it all comes for full circle. No kidding. Uh, <clears throat> again, that's synergydryland.com. If you want to check out Katie Hoff's Synergy Dryland. Uh, I, I think that's just so cool that you were, you, you started as a professional from a very young age um, and then again, even though you took this big hiatus, you were able to, as you said, get your feet wet and kind of come right back, not only to fitness, but to the swimming community and, and use them to jumpstart this business and to, to keep growing it. And so I don't know that that is a really cool full circle story. Um, but yeah. Katie, I really, I really appreciate you coming on today to give your perspective on this topic. Uh, it's been great hearing, hearing this story, I grew up watching you swim. And so it was cool. It's cool to get a firsthand account of it. Um, but again, thank you for your time. Do you have any parting thoughts or anything we missed before we sign off? I think just, you know, everyone has an opinion about everyone's decisions. And I I just go back to the one, 
you don't know what that person has gone through. You don't know maybe the behind the scenes of what, you know, Instagram or just seeing them at a big meet is happening. And so it goes back to, you know, the coach, the environment, um, you know, your teammates and even, you know, where you live. And so just trust that that person is making the best possible decision for themselves in that moment and just be supportive. <laughs> because I, I see a lot of opinions thrown around and I'm, I know there are a lot of opinions when I did my thing and it's too young, there's too much pressure, right? There's, there's always gonna be that, but there's enough opinions and, and armchair critics in this world. So just love that athlete, support them. They're gonna learn from it if it's not the right path or if it is the right path, they're gonna succeed and it's gonna be awesome. So just, that's my, that's my final parting thought. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.